Welcome to the Healthcare Weekly Podcast, where you can learn about the innovative ideas and technologies reshaping the healthcare industry. Join over 150,000 monthly readers and listeners all over the world. Each week, we sit down with some of the most brilliant minds in healthcare to learn what the future holds. The Healthcare Weekly Podcast, healthcare innovation starts here. Welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Weekly Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of talking to Neri Lavi, who serves as Managing Director in the United States for Quality Test. Neri, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Hi, Codwin. Thanks a lot for having me. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thank you. I'll just get to the meat of things. Can you talk a little bit about Quality Test, what you guys do, and particularly how your work applies to the healthcare industry? Sure, no problem. Qualitas is a basically a software testing company, so quality engineering, which is testing and everything related to QA, is everything that we do. As a quality engineering focused company, we're the largest in the world today across four continents, and our regions are basically Middle East, Europe, India, and the US. Amongst all of them, more than 4,000 test engineers, managers, solution architects, and so on. And specifically in the healthcare and medical devices industry, which is our number one industry. In the U.S., we both apply test management, functional test, automation development, load and performance in a variety of them, a lot of VNV operations in preparation for FDA audits, and a lot of hospital chains, which starts from either testing and, and, and automating their EMR systems, as well as the connection between them and the payers. Back in the day of ICD-10, there was a lot of testing efforts and in the preparation of to ICD-11, so that's in that industry. And around that, companies such as Google, where we test the search engine and the assistant-related product, British Telecom, large banks, and essentially every vertical that, uh, that exists is where we involve that. Are there other details that you, that you might want? Yeah, I think I'd love to kind of zone in on medical device manufacturers. It's a booming industry, particularly in, in the United States. Is expected to continue growing year over year. There's a lot of different use cases, many of which we've actually had on on the podcast. We've had probably more than a dozen CEOs from medical device manufacturer manufacturing companies join us as guests in the past. So I like to start kind of at the high level and, and really understand like if you're a CEO for a medical device company listening to this podcast at a high level. What should they know about quality assurance and, in particular, policies and procedures tied to testing their device before the FDA could approve their specific solution? Strictly sure. from a quality assurance point of view. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, uh, and, and let's just say that if you're a CEO that's ahead of or just uh, waiting for the FDA audit, then it starts from how the VNV process needs to be documented. First of all, executed, managed, and documented. Manage is the aspect of test management. Documented, the, the, a lot of the difference between a VNV operation versus any other testing operation is actually how you document the cases themselves and more so the implementation of those, whether it's a signature method and so on. And then the whole QMS and how it's defined, QMS, Quality Management System, and we've seen in multiple FDA audits that we've done that if a QMS around the test organization is strong enough and if the processes are followed, then the FDA audit passed, passed I think, in every time that we were involved in. 
now there's all kinds of questions about, okay, so that's how you test my application, but what about efforts like automation development? How do, how do you integrate that into this whole QMS? Same as for load and performance. And managing those issues, both in preparation for, for an audit, which is known, but more so towards having a culture of uh, maintaining a QMS is, the, I would say, our main value on top of, of simply detecting and preventing defects. So you mentioned there's a variety of issues that would need to be dealt with when, when dealing QA as a device manufacturer and you know, some of the challenges that may come up across this process. Can you talk more specifically about what are the most common challenges that uh, device manufacturers have to deal with when testing their, their software or hardware? Yes, indeed. Many times when you have a, an equipment involved, that means that you have an embedded device. Basically, a software embedded in a hardware component. So a lot of times, while you have the issues around the software itself, the classic QA issues around the software, whether it's test coverage and how do you measure it, whether you have enough, how do you find the best defects first, how do you find the worst defects first, so you have enough time to stabilize, how do you manage risk alongside the release, if you're a scrum operation, how do you manage test effectively within a sprint, those are the classic ones and not necessarily just medical device specific, but are obviously related to any medical device operation. And then you have on top of that, A, how do you, like I said, the document everything so the FDA can actually track and see how your QMS is, handles itself. And then how do you access, when you have an embedded, an embedded software, a lot of times the interfaces are limited. There's actually specific operating systems which are not as sophisticated as, as the regular Windows, like Windows Embedded, which just limits testing and limits automation development. So how do you improve testing and shorten it? How do you reduce the cost of testing by having automation use that? All of those are challenges that medical device companies have. Some of them, as said, are just unique um, from the perspective of both FDA and an embedded device. So one of the challenges that come with quality assurance anywhere, right? It doesn't have to be healthcare in particular, is the fact that by and large, it's a very time-consuming process. Sometimes, of course, it's, it's prone to errors, and, and, and there's a lot of ambiguity from coming up with the right test cases to make sure uh, test both for the normal use cases, but also negative scenarios. Uh, in recent times, there's been a uh, move towards leveraging artificial intelligence and other predictive analytics strategies in order to augment the testing process. Can you talk a little bit about whether your company leverages AI or just more generally in the industry, how is artificial intelligence leveraged to augment the QA process? Right. When we're talking about AI, first of all, there's a distinction between AI for testing using AI-based solutions for, t- for the sake of testing, which I believe what you mentioned, but there's also testing of AI products. And those are two different problems entirely. Well, sound the same. I'll focus for now on AI for testing. And there's, a, there's basically two ways in which we mainly utilize AI. I'll get to those in a second. But in general, we've put it as one of our main efforts to both develop AI solutions even for problems that we are currently dealing with. It's actually even in our mission vision that developing AI solution 
to improve our, our, our client's quality practices as a front and center effort to focus on. Now, if I die for a minute of how we utilize AI, so the two main areas where we use AI in is A, in automation development, I'll explain in a second how, and in test management. In automation development, if you consider, if you want to save time, as you mentioned, then automation is the ABC of saving time and just adding effort just because you can, you know, you can run a ton of tests overnight so you can be, and you can do it every night. So you're basically adding things that you haven't done before on top of reducing the testing time. But that's still automating a set of known processes, known test cases or scripted test cases, which is just what we have been doing for years. There's a few companies that basically developed an AI solution. And what that means is it's basically a machine, it's a subcomponent of AI. It's actually a machine learning mechanism that is able to develop test cases and run them automatically without somebody developing just a flow one and then flow two and flow three. What it allows you to do, not, the way you're developing is not much more complex because you are developing basically functional cubes of that application. Then the engine, based on the way the, the application is used, the, the types of users that use it, and, and other information it collects is, uh, allow, is able to develop automated test cases on its own, using those functional components that we, that we have developed. And then imagine that overnight you have a new set of test cases which not only been developed, but also started running. And you can change the frequencies and the, 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 the more riskier areas of the system, the more commonly used areas of the system. And, and, and that feeds information to the machine, which then develops new automated test cases. And, and that's basically ourselves enabling to develop way, way more test cases in, in, a, in, in a way that mimics the user behavior way closer without having to develop each and every flow is a single script call. That's way number one. Just before I move to test management, any questions about that? Something which was not clear? Yeah, so kind of to simplify artificial intelligence for, for newbies, in machine learning, there's like three different ways of uh, leveraging machine learning to complete a task. The one would be supervised learning. You're giving the right input for an algorithm to learn and act on. Then you have unsupervised learning. We give a bunch of data out there and see what an AI can discover. And then you have reinforced learning, which is you basically reward good or bad behavior and develop the algorithm to learn from it. So when it comes down to leveraging AI for testing purposes, which of these different mechanisms do you currently leverage when it comes down to your own testing algorithms? So uh, just to, there, there's mainly two definitions, and I think you, you, you hit it right, uh, right on the spot. There's basically two definitions that we, use, that we currently are relevant. AI is basically a program that can sense, can reason, can draw conclusions, can learn on itself. Machine learning is basically an algorithm which improves performance as it, as it gets more data. And at this point, at least, the solutions for testing are more on the machine learning side, meaning algorithms that improve their performance alone by getting more data from the application or from the code. The pure AI point of it, I think, is, is really the next step, but using those machine learning is actually already three steps ahead of where, of where every common 
automation is, and that's true both for in the automation development case as well as in the test management case. If I just go a bit into the uh, test management case, when we're applying, there's a, there's a set of products that we use that actually given a, a huge set of test cases, test tweets, and given that we, can, that we understand the history of the run, we're able to actually analyze which areas in the system, which areas in the test suite are, A, way more prone to mistakes and, the, and others which are less, and that way identify which, which does it make sense to run first and which ones are, it might not actually make sense to run. We actually had a hospital where they had on their EMR a set of, if I recall correctly, about 12,000 test cases. When we ran the machine learning mechanism on that and analyzed its results, we found out that roughly half of them never failed. And if you have a, test, a set of test cases that never failed, well, you, you don't necessarily want to not run them again. But obviously, those are the set of tests that you can run once in, 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 just once in a release, or basically those are the lower risk test cases. Simply put, in the last X amount of years, they never fail, even though the application went through a ton of changes. So we were able to reduce most testing cycle by 50% by running a, a mechanism that ran for a few days. Just one, and you don't, and you need to do it just once. Then in the, in the reminder 50%, we were able to, uh, to get an understanding of which areas in the, the test cases and the functionality is way more dangerous. So you can focus on that more earlier, thus getting the, the worst bugs, the worst defects, and the worst impact to the system by changes earlier. Thus, at the end of the release, you don't have that problem, and you reduce testing significantly because just as you begin, 50% of it will, instead of running three cycles, you need to run only once. So both ends work. Did that answer your question, though? Yeah, I think so. So if, if I understand correctly, leveraging machine learning can help organizations accelerate, if you will, manual testing and overall processes. And also, in the example you provided with regards to a hospital, is automatically check a variety of test cases that would ultimately need to be run, but in most cases, they would never fail, right? So the outcome in leveraging AI and machine, lear- machine learning for purposes of, of QA analysis is that you get to quickly test all of these scenarios, and if they pass, they pass, you, you didn't have to spend a lot of time on manually doing it, correct? Exactly. In both avenues, both in the automation and the test management, you have significant time saving. In the automation, you need to develop way less. In the test management, you need to basically perform test execution significantly less. That's one angle. The second angle is that you increase coverage in the test automation and you're getting way more test cases developed that you don't need to develop yourself. The machine actually does it. And in the test management case, you know how to increase your test, your test in the coverage areas which are just riskier. The, the third angle of this is that you reduce your risk. And that's mainly the test management piece, just because you know where the risk is. And thus, as I said, in the last two or few weeks of the release, you don't suddenly found that you have to test something all over again or integrate changes and not know where they will impact, if that makes sense. Yeah, makes sense. So is it possible that by leveraging machine learning, an organization who does quality assurance could actually eliminate, find and eliminate more bugs? 
I believe that, well, first of all, since the QA um, um, organization is busy mainly finding and preventing, solving it is actually the, uh, the, the development side. And if it's the Scrum team, then it's, it's all on the, on the Scrum team. They can definitely find more things earlier. So there's the finding more things which will not link into production unnoticed. We might actually release with a few bugs. Well, we, don't, we won't have surprises, which is usually what business managers and QA managers look for, as well as finding them earlier. So the instability and thus maybe the time to release potentially will just be shorter. Got it. Got it. So earlier, you made a very steep distinction when talking about quality assurance, that there's two types of quality assurance when it comes to leveraging AI. One is using AI in the, the QA process, which is what we've discussed. And the second one you mentioned was, is the reality that you have to also the QA on artificial intelligence. So can you talk about the, the second component? Like, how do you do that? You mentioned earlier that you work, for example, with, with Google when it comes down to showing the correct search results. Google is just one of many companies that leverage AI at scale. So I definitely want to learn more about like how can a company actually do proper QA for artificial intelligence solutions? Sure. And so we covered AI for testing. Now we're talking about testing of AI. And while I want to refrain from focusing uh, on Google simply because of secrecy issues, we are testing all kinds of AI-based products. And you indeed touch on a point which is at the heart of our not only research, but also implementation. I'll be honest and say that while we have been testing AI products for the last three years, we find that testing an an application that learns, that's able to to draw conclusions, that is changing, essentially changing its behavior, the, the requirements are around the change of behavior and not necessarily around the, the, the needs or the functionality. So how do you define what's the right decision and versus the right outcome? And how do you understand that, some, that going in, in, in a certain direction versus another is actually sometimes it's actually subjective. All of those are at the center of how we plan test. Execution is, 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 I would say, is not much different, but planning is the real focus point. And in that focus point, like I say, it's not only based on what does the requirements say or, or how we use it. We, we, we focus on business assurance, which means that we want our testers and, and Q, basically quality engineers to be aligned with the business first of all, but it's not only what the business outcome needs to be and if the user gets what he needs versus what he wants, for example, it's also about how the machine is progressing, given more data. And how do you design test cases to confront that, to deal with it? So as an example, in a lot of test plans or test efforts, many times there are, sometimes there are written test plans, sometimes there aren't, but is the way that we think and we analyze, we actually um, make a distribution between the actual result that we expect and the learning mechanism itself. And it needs to be test effort just focused on the learning, not necessarily the results at the end, but what learning was applied or what change in behavior was applied, and does that make sense in light of the additional data that was added? Did that make sense? Because honestly, it took even me enough time to learn this. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned one thing, which is also kind of an overall 
concern that anybody would have when testing AI, which is, uh, you know, like we do artificial intelligence and AI can only learn based on specific data sets. Right? If you don't have a lot of data that the AI can be applied to, how do you do quality testing? Uh, and I think this is one of those like kind of chicken and the egg s- scenarios when you have an AI solution. So I definitely want to explore that more because I, I honestly don't know the answer. And if you have any insights to provide, that would be very helpful. Of course. It always starts with a set of assumptions. And then, like any other product, the, the, the conclusions which are based on the assumptions, some of the requirements are designed by that. But that's no different than any other product. Then you have the actual change of behavior, which is what we call the machine learning. It's stage number one, and the AI itself at stage number two. So having a dedicated test effort for the change in behavior is one of the main lessons that we, that, that, that we learned just because at the, at the beginning, everybody was basically testing both at the same time. But then you're getting different results, and sometimes it makes sense versus a requirement. Sometimes it makes sense versus the user story. But when you're thinking about how the machine evolved, it actually evolved in the wrong direction. So the, 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 the result might make sense. The test case for that perspective passed. However, it learned in that specific case in a wrong way. Its conclusion drawing was wrong. So that's essentially, it's actually a defect. The minute that you define between the two, you're able to focus on each and draw the right conclusion, then combine them into, call it integration te- uh, cases or, or, or system test cases, but not between two functional components like any integration, but rather it's the same functional component. One of them needs to change the behavior based on data sets that we inject. Now, if we have limited data, as you suggested, then we just need to, A, understand if that limited data represents the market. If it doesn't, we have more preparation to do. Call it test data management, uh, which is basically preparing a lot of data based on how the clientele of the, of the application, the user base, and, and the actual production environment of that program. And then we can basically go ahead and, and, and make two basically test efforts, one around functionality, the second around the actual learning of the functionality. Any questions around that? And again, I'm hoping I'm explaining clearly. Yeah, I think what would be very helpful is if you could use some specific examples, maybe clients. Ideally, some clients that you've been doing testing for when it comes down to an artificial intelligence solution and, and how you, your company would go about defining the right test cases uh, and use cases at the right time in order to do the job at Quality Truth. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest and say that the true machine learning mechanism is something that we have at around three clients. None of them is in the healthcare industry, honestly. And I'm trying to think if I can, uh, in, to what level I can actually expose specific details about product. At this point, I don't believe I can. So let's just say if I, if I can explain more on the theory around that, I'm happy to do so. But, but like I said, we don't have, we're not testing any AI product in, in the healthcare or medical device region. But let's just say that, the, that those applications are, do we have one in, in, in the search space, another one in the defense space, another one in the, in, in the automobile space. But again, there's heavy secrecy around those, so I'm afraid I'm unable to, um, to expose specific data. Sure. Um, can we then talk more specifically about just testing of healthcare solutions, either in a hospital setting or health tech companies? And you know what are the most common trends between 
testing for a healthcare company? Like, what are the biggest challenges? What do you come across on a regular basis when it comes down to testing uh, healthcare solutions? Of course. So in the healthcare industry, we have, uh, I would uh, distribute this between three main groups. Group number one is the payers and everything around their billing systems, everything around their implementation of connection to the hospitals, uh, meaning the providers. Then there's uh, the providers, and in their case, it's dealing with huge EMR systems, which are huge systems, whether it's Epic, Cerner, McKesson, Siemens, and, and so on. Then ERP, very big ERP implementations, and that's also in a, uh, in an area where you have a lot of non-IT staff use those. Imagine nurses, doctors, which IT system is not their core competency, and how to adapt testing for that how to represent a, the, the, user body, the user's body around those applications is definitely a challenge that, that we're dealing with. In many times, actually, our test teams amongst hospitals, whether it's a TCOE or just testing a big EMR, is actually testers that came from that user base. So imagine when we're, telling, where we're testing a dispensing system, we're using a nurse as part of our test uh, efforts just so we get the best idea of how the user uses it. And how we look and how they look at it. That's just an example. So that's the provider side. And then there's everything which is in between, whether it's clearing houses or all kinds of companies which are managing payments between the pairs and the providers. We have at times efforts which includes both the pairs and, 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 and the providers, and that's around revenue neutrality. If, if there's one of those sites replaces a big system, like a billing one, and we want to check that no payments between a set of hospital chains and that payer and back has gone wrong, it requires the integration between those. So I would say those are the main clusters of problems that exist in the healthcare industry. An interesting problem that we dealt with in the past and is actually coming, I believe, in two years' time, is a set of codes, what's called ICD-10 codes, that was implemented roughly three years ago, and ICD-11, which is coming roughly in 2022, if I recall correctly, and that requires a lot of test effort, even a, a year plus worth at some places, which where not only does the the EMR might change its behavior when integrating to other applications. I mean, the EMR companies, Epic and Cerner and their own, obviously have versions which are adaptable to those set of codes, but how inside the hospital when moving a code from the EMR to the billing system or from the pay, or, or by translating the patient's chart to a, to a specific code, a lot of things can go, can go wrong, and then actual revenue being requested from the payer can actually hurt itself. In, in specific test cases that we tried, we actually found cases when we're moving to ICD-9 to 10 back in the day, revenue was hurting seven figures in those cases. Revenue neutrality was not retained, and there were enough efforts to uh, compensate for that so that when the hospital, the, the, the provider, basically adapt the system with the new ICD code, then everything stays the same. Otherwise, imagine how the CFO would behave when he found out he lost a few millions of dollars because the system didn't work well. So I would... It would not I, I would, be an ideal scenario. <laughs> Uh, Indeed, it need not. We just uh, this. Uh, we actually just started a new managed testing services with a large hospital chain in um, in Washington State. And actually, when we started, we talked to the CFO around the coming 
ICD change. And we agree that this needs to be one of the top priorities going to 2020, just because she felt uh, the pain four years ago. So, you know, quality assurance as a whole is not something we think about habitually, right? Uh, the most common scenarios where we think about QA, and we don't even call it QA, but we see the negative outcomes of yeah, improper QA uh, is when rehearsed, right? When you have a, a breach and we can we keep hearing about uh, breaches of medical records uh, left and right. There's multiple such breaches happening every month. So I was wondering, is, like, is that something you can talk about? Like, it's a question that everybody has when they hear about another insurance provider or Medicare provider that they've exposed all these records, uh, patient records, to hackers and other third uh, parties. Like, why does this happen? And what are the most common mistakes that are made that lead to such uh, data breaches in production? Uh, let's just say this. A lot of times when organizations look at... You refer to organizations that only think of QA when they're hurt. But even at organizations that do have QA in front of their eyes, security and testing and preventing and thinking about security when adding a system or implementing a system is one of the more common causes for these breaches. Just because you integrate a new system, but nobody really into depth analyzes the new structure, the new IT structure, and then usually the, the new product will not have the vulnerabilities. Usually, in most cases. But the way it's set up, the, the set of servers that has it, the integration points, the out inputs and outputs that, that, that they can get into that system, might actually be causes for breaches. And you need a, a specific security testing effort around that in almost any given change, and that needs to be in the culture of, of the company. So you ask, what might be a cause for that? That's one of the main causes. Yes, some products, you know, you're getting an off-the-shelf product to a hospital, for example. Yeah, the, the hospital didn't develop it. They bought an off-the-shelf product. Ideally, it's supposed to be fully, fully secured, and the company who's developed it needs to be accountable for that. In most cases, it actually happened. Most of the breaches are actually not in the product itself, but how it was installed, how it was customized, and where. So that, that, that's what that's one of the more, I would even say the most common reasons for that, for, for those breaches. Uh, another, uh, another way that's happening is a lot of, th there's, we all know what HIPAA is and what HIPAA compliance means. And yet a lot of times in different environments that, that are utilized, there's a, a misuse of HIPAA information. And so, for example, when we have a test environment, we basically either strip all HIPAA-related HIPAA information from it or we just filter it very, very significantly. So even we actually assume it will get exposed. So even if, it get, if something gets exposed, there is nothing that can actually expose any medical any medical data which is connected to a patient but having such environment which are more lightly used can actually cause a breach if that makes sense so when it comes down to these these breaches like what do you think is like the one thing that every company out there should be doing that you may suspect they're not doing right when it comes down to to testing is it that they're introducing new features and functionalities, integrating with third-party solutions? 
what will be the one thing that CIOs and CTOs at, at health systems listening to this podcast should be paying attention to in order to get better at quality assurance? Sure. Well, first of all, when we're talking about quality assurance, we're talking way more than security testing. So I'll touch that in a minute. But to get to your question, um, in most organizations, you have a security team. And the, and, 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 all, and in most cases, they're pros. They, 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 uh, we believe they know what they're doing. However, the culture around security is not there. And what I mean by the culture is it's not enough that you have a security team. The entire hospital IT system needs to be aware that to trigger every single change in installations, in locations, in basically describing the full operation to the security team, because many times there are changes which are happening, but the security team doesn't even know they need to they need to check the security for them, or that we just dismiss its importance. So while there are pros, many times they don't even know they need to test because there was a change in a configuration, a even a, even a, a, an admin setting which is done by the, by, by the IT system team. So it's, a, it's mainly around developing that culture and developing that culture is something that, that our organization can actually help simply because when we deploy security teams are probably number one effort beyond just penetration, the penetration testing which is being done, it's actually how to change the mindset of the leadership team or in which unit needs to be aware of this in terms of processes to deploy security, test and attention, and, 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 and basically what effort needs to be taken. So if I would mark the number one reason I see for those, it, it's exactly that. And when talking to QA, we should remember that while security testing is one aspect of it, at the end of the day, the, the main difference between QA and testing, while testing focuses on detection, QA is actually both detection, but mainly prevention of issues of defects, and that doesn't just include uh, the QA department. It basically involves everybody when the, QA, when, when the QA organization can actually lead. I would actually uh, claim that uh, it, it comes from the top IT leadership, the, the, the QA mindset and the prevention of defects in every aspect, in a functional aspect, in a security aspect, in a load and performance aspect. And that line of thinking across the organization is something that when we are performing a managed testing service for a payer and provider, I, I would say that's the number one effort, just changing the mindset. Got it. Thank you so much. I only have uh, one last question for you for today. Yeah. And yeah. that question is around, you know, like, what are you most excited about over the next five to 10 years when it comes down to the underlying technologies that are helping your company and other companies get better, yeah. better, testing over time? I definitely can say that our current main excitement are those AI solutions. I, 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 I'll confess, while we've been dealing this for three years, we keep finding not only new challenges, which are not simple, uh, but also new solutions and new solutions and new products out there that we partner with. Um, sometimes we even embed them in, in, in our portfolio to, to serve as, as um solutions for those, and more so how to deploy all, all of those suite of solutions. I'll, I'll be honest, in, 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 a in a medical provider, it's just purely different implementation than in a medical device company versus testing an air-to-air missile even. While the solution is the same and the idea is the same, it's implementation across 
the unique problems of, of that sector are, are are so different that it's just just thinking about it, designing it, and implementing it is is truly something new. And as a as a previous software engineer who liked this this, this kind of problem of uh, problems, that that does get me excited. And I don't think we're going to see the end in the next four or five years. Excellent, Neri. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Cool. Thank you for having me. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Thanks for listening to the Healthcare Weekly Podcast. Don't forget to visit us at healthcareweekly.com. Subscribe to our channel on your favorite podcast app to get a notification every time a new episode is released. Do you know of an inspirational health leader who should be on our podcast? Email us at hello at healthcareweekly.com with details. Healthcare Weekly Podcast. Healthcare innovation starts here.